there's a rule in life that goes like this. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. That magic hair growth formula probably isn't all that magical. Sorry guys, I feel your pain. When they tell you that you're gonna pay nothing out of pocket, guess what? They're gonna try and upsell you and get into those pockets. When you find that thing you've been searching for online, selling for 80% less than everywhere else, it's probably broken, stolen, or doesn't exist. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. But, as my teenager likes to remind me, there can be exceptions to every rule. Today, we're starting a new teaching series called Free to Be, where we're studying chapter by chapter the New Testament book of Galatians. Uh, this book, this letter, was written to a church struggling to believe in the extravagant goodness of God. Uh, they were being lured into thinking that the gospel, the, the life-changing message of God's mercy in Jesus Christ, had strings attached, that it came with a catch, that it was just too good to be true. And so Paul, that the pastor who'd planted this church, he writes them to remind them, no, no, it, it really is that good. Uh, the message of Jesus is the greatest exception to that rule. All that he promises is true, and it is absolutely free. You don't need to earn it or tweak it. You just receive it and enjoy it. A little bit of background. At this moment in history, there was a decent-sized divide in the early Christian church. Jesus' movement had sprung out of the Hebrew faith, and it flowed at first out of Jewish communities. And in the Hebrew faith, practicing Torah, adhering to the law, was everything. And it included a number of things, like abstaining from certain foods, practicing circumcision, and observing the Sabbath. But as the message of Jesus spilled into the rest of the world, adherence to the law was left behind. New Christian communities, like the one in Galatia, were not practicing those things. And that made some people in the early Christian church furious. So furious that they would travel to these new churches after the pastor, like Paul, had left to start another one, and they would show up saying, look, everything you've been taught is too good to be true. They'd say, yes, Jesus is the savior of the world. Yes, there is forgiveness. Yes, there is meaning, purpose, joy, and peace. But, but only, only if you also embrace Hebrew culture and you also maintain the Mosaic law. They would say, it's not just Jesus, no. It's Jesus plus you checking all these boxes. I had this teacher in high school who when he would get upset, like, like really mad at the class, he would rip off his glasses like this. And that's how you knew that you were in trouble. Or when I was growing up, uh, my mom, when she had to really get after me and my brothers, she would take off her earrings. And that's how you knew she was really mad. She'd say something like, you've got three seconds to fix that attitude or I am gonna fix it for you. Paul, Paul gets word that this is happening in Galatia and he's mad. He, he, he's so mad, he, he rips off his glasses. He pulls out the earrings, so to speak. Uh, listen to this. Listen to what he says. He says this, chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 6. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. 
Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. In, in every other letter we have from Paul, and we have several, he follows the same pattern. Uh, first, he introduces himself, then he gives a greeting, and then he offers a word of thanks or praise to the people that he's writing to. Every single time he does this, except this time. This time, he gives a little greeting, he says hello, and then he lights into them. He lets them have it, out of, out of love, but he lets them have it nonetheless. Listen again to what he says. He says, I'm astonished to hear that you have turned your back on Jesus. It's blowing my mind that you are deserting Jesus Christ by even entertaining this other message. Now, you might be wondering, is that kind of anger from Paul really warranted? Or does Paul need to like take a time out and relax? Like somebody get this preacher a soft chair and a stiff drink, he needs to calm down. Is Paul going overboard? No. Paul believes, we believe that if you, if you alter, if you, if you tweak, if you change, if you add to the message of Jesus, you lose Jesus altogether. And if you lose Jesus, you lose all that he's done for you, won for you, and promises to you. You see, for Paul, this is life or death. And so Paul is angry. Paul is angry because he loves. And remember, and this is important for your relationships, there, there is room within love for righteous anger. The opposite of love is not anger. It's, it's apathy, where, where you don't care at all what happens to the other person. Uh, author Becky Pippert, she, she says this. She says, true love detests what destroys the beloved. Let me say that again. True love detests what destroys the beloved. Real love stands against the deception, the lie, the sin that destroys. Paul is like a parent who sees that their child's fruity pebbles are being laced with poison and that the kids are lapping it up. And so he slaps the spoon out of their hands. Now, in case you and I aren't clear on what the true message of Jesus is, Paul sneaks in a quick summary right at the beginning of the book. In his opening greeting, he says this. Listen closely. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. That's it. That's, that's the whole gospel message right there. Did you catch it? Paul says, we have grace and peace. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus who gave himself, sacrificed himself to deliver us, to rescue you and me from this evil age. Uh, to rescue us from the sins that entangle us, from, from death that's chasing us and this terrifying world that is crumbling around us. And why did he do it? Did he do it because we asked for it or because we proved ourselves worthy of it or because we said we really, really wanted it? No, Jesus did this simply because the Father willed it. That's the gospel. Now that word, deliver, uh, rescue, is, is so important. It reveals everything you need to know about, about the work of Jesus and about your own status. It tells us that apart from Jesus, we are helpless. Uh, think of someone who's drowning. Uh, when someone's drowning, unless someone rescues them, they're lost. And if they do get pulled safely to shore, who gets all the credit? 
the one who dove in and dragged them out. You don't hear anyone who's been saved from the water saying, you know, I, I appreciate the lifeguard, but without that cramp in my leg and me swallowing a half gallon of salt water, none of this would have been possible. It really was a team effort. No, that's not what you hear. What you hear is that the one who saves gets all the credit. They're a savior, not a helper. And that's a primary difference between the Christian faith and every other religion. Every other religious teacher tells you how to be delivered, how to be saved, or, or how to reach enlightenment. And then they hand that how to you. And they say, here, you do it. But listen to me, if sin is real, if death is real, if, if the evil in this world is real, then that's the equivalent of tossing some Ikea instructions out into the ocean and saying, build yourself a life raft. That's not what we need. What we need is for someone, someone to dive in, grab us, drag us to the shore, and breathe life into us and save us. And that's what Jesus has done. And he's done it all, and it's finished. And so our focus, our faith, is solely in him. And Paul's point is that if we change that message, we lose that miracle. I'll say it again. If we change that message at all, we lose that miracle completely. When you say it's Jesus plus anything, you lose everything. Why? Because it takes the focus of our faith and shifts it away from the one who lived, died, and rose for us and puts it onto something else that can't and won't deliver for us. Again, here's how serious Paul is. Listen to what he says in verse 9. This is, just listen to this. Galatians chapter 1, verse 9, now he says, I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Accursed. Now that word, that word could also be translated uh, anathema, which means being tossed to hell by God. Paul's not playing. What he says is, if anyone tries to get your faith to be in anything other than Christ alone, may God damn them to hell. Now, what do we do with this? Interesting history lesson, right? Is it just that though, history? Or is this, is this still a threat, a struggle today? And, and you know what I'm going to say. Of course it is. There are still false gospels filling the air and pulling at our hearts, daring us, albeit very deceptively, to desert Jesus. Yes, a, a lot has changed in the 1950 years since this letter was first written. I mean, we have TikTok now. But here's what hasn't changed. The human heart. Not one bit. And there's nothing. There's nothing the human heart loves more, more than Jesus, more than Grace, more than Hamilton on Disney+. Plus. There's nothing the human heart loves more than itself. False hopes, false gospels have so much influence because they play on that part of our hearts. They come to us and they try to make us the focus. They make us the hero. They make us the center of the story and we eat that stuff up. 
Why do you think the world of self-help thrives in good times and in bad? Now, I'm not against bettering yourself, not at all. But there's a reason that this is the number one best-selling self-help book of all time. The title alone tells us exactly what our hearts want to hear. You can save yourself. That idea always sells. Always. Ask Galatia. Now today, you find two major distortions of the Christian message. And both are really alluring to us. And as I explain these, I'd like you to be asking yourself, which one is most attractive to me? Which one would be most tempting for me to latch my heart onto? Today, the most common twists of the Christian message are plus Jesus and minus Jesus. The first is the one we've already been talking about. It's the same thing Paul warned our ancestors against. Though today, there's, there's less talk of pork and circumcision. Plus, Jesus' messaging says that your trust in him is not enough. You need to add something else in. Or else you can't be sure of where you stand with God. And it has both an inward and an outward expression. Let me illustrate. Many people struggle with this, this, this lie internally that says, you're not good enough. Uh, certainly God and others can't love the real you. Have they even seen the real you? Do they know the real you? And so you feel this, this constant pressure to do more, to be more, to try harder in everything, even faith. It's, it's not enough to just depend on Jesus. You say to yourself, I, I, I've got to really believe. I've got to really mean it. I've got to really want it, whatever that means. And you think, I, I have to pray more. I've got to go to church more. I've got to love my neighbor more, which are, which are fine things. But here's what you also say. You say, I've got to pray more. I've got to go to church more. I've got to love my neighbor more. And then I can have more peace with God. If your peace with God is linked in any way to your performance. Hear me on this. If your peace with God is linked in any way to your performance, your faith is not in Jesus Christ. It is in your performance plus Jesus Christ. The outward expression looks like churches and communities that, that put this kind of pressure onto other people. You see this in what we might label as, as highly conservative churches. And maybe you've experienced this. There's this implied belief in these communities that, that unless you behave like us, look like us, dress like us, or vote like us, I said it, then, then, then we get to doubt whether or not you've got grace like us. And, and when you're in these communities, you're, you're made to feel like an outsider. But listen, if your certainty about someone else's salvation is in their adoption of a certain Western Christian culture rather than what Jesus has done for them and proclaims to them, or if your willingness to welcome someone into your community is not based on what Jesus has done for them, who says all are welcomed by him, but on their adoption of a certain Western Christian culture, then listen to me, your faith is not in Jesus. It's in that expression of Christian culture plus Jesus. And that is a false gospel. And churches 
Churches like ours, we must be humble, mindful of the fact that we can very quickly cloud and corrupt the message of Jesus by tacking all kinds of expectations and biases onto the work of Jesus as we share it with others. Now, on the flip side, minus Jesus messaging says that, that trust in Jesus isn't really required. In fact, it often allows you to change the goal of life altogether. It doesn't have to be about having a right relationship with God or being found in his grace, unless that's important to you. This is what you'd call classic liberal Christianity. It says, look, if being a good person is what matters most to you, then have at it. If being kind, being your best self, being a woke warrior is what matters most in life, then go ahead, make that the great hope of your life. And you don't need Jesus to live out that life. In minus Jesus theology, what, what saves you is not the death of Christ for your sins, but your own commitment to your ideals. Have you, have you done some good? Have you meant well? Then that's what matters. No grace required. But here's where it falls apart. Deep down, we all know, listen to me, we all know that we do, in fact, need grace. That if fully exposed, we would not stand the scrutiny of anyone's gaze. Certainly not God's. Minus Jesus theology says, just be good. But it never tells you how good to be. But listen to me, it doesn't have to. Because we already know whatever it is, we probably missed the mark. Now, both of these distortions, these twists on the truth, are alive and well in the church. And they have power over, they have pull in human hearts. Uh, which one could most easily lay hold of you? Think about it. Is it plus Jesus? Do more, be more, I need to see more. Or is it minus Jesus? Just do good and mean well and it'll all be good in the end. Which is it? I want you to be mindful, my friends, that, that the greatest threat to the health and well-being of our church, uh, of, of the church as a whole, is not anything on the outside. You know, you know, some people like to get worked up about threats to our freedoms or us being persecuted, both of which can happen and, and would be awful. But both are things that God has said his church will experience and will be able to endure. And often, if history is any indicator, we will thrive as a result of those things. Now, according to what we are studying today and what we see throughout history, the greatest threat to the church doesn't come from the outside, but from within. When people of faith invite and invent new gospels, which are no gospel at all, be mindful that you don't, as Paul will say in chapter 5, put yourself back under a yoke of bondage. To, to add to Jesus, to take away Jesus, is to lose Jesus. And if you lose Jesus, you're just by yourself. You're alone in the water, so to speak. Uh, alone with the truth of your mortality, your mistakes, uh, of your inability to be the amazing person that you want to be. And you have all of that weight on your shoulders as you bob up and down in the waters of life. You have been set free from that burden. Don't you dare, don't you dare pick it back up again. 
Remember that this freedom that you and I have, that, that you enjoy, came at an incredible, almost indescribable cost. This wasn't some prize found on the bottom of a box of cereal. Remember when they used to do that, by the way? How gross was that? Some toy was buried in your box of Frosted Flakes and your older brother, who you know for a fact never once washed his hand, would stick his arm in there up to his elbow to grab that thing? Your forgiveness, your place in the father's family was not grabbed so easily. It was won in an epic and terrible battle. One that involved all the sins of man being placed on Christ, all the evil that Satan could muster being thrown at Christ, and his scream, it is finished, as his blood drained from his body. The skies darkened, the earth shook, and three days later, every atom of creation rejoiced because creation, which includes you, were set free. God's own son went to war for you. He fought and won that war for you and, and now promises every blessing of God to you. It's yours. Don't, don't cheapen it by thinking that you can add to it. Don't offend it by saying you don't need it. Just believe it. There is no one so good that they do not need God's grace. And there is no one so bad that they are beyond it. If anyone tells you that you must do more than simply believe, if anyone says that you don't need what's already been done, may they be damned. Because it has all been finished. And you are loved. And you are free through faith alone. Let me close with a story. Fiorello LaGuardia was the mayor of New York City during the Great Depression. And he was uh, uh, a character, to say the least. He, he would ride the city fire trucks. He would take entire orphanages to baseball games. And, and when the city newspapers went on strike, he, he got on the radio and he read the Sunday comics to kids over the air. He was, he was one of a kind. One night in 1935, Mayor LaGuardia went to night court in one of the poorest sections of the city. He walked in and he, and he sent the judge home and he took over the bench hearing cases. And an older woman was brought to him, uh, accused of stealing bread. And she told the mayor that she was in fact guilty, but that her family was, was struggling, they were poor. The shopkeeper from whom the bread was stolen insisted, however, on pressing charges, saying, look, she must be punished to teach the rest of the neighborhood a lesson. And so the mayor said, look, I've got to punish you. The law makes no exception. So here's my ruling. $10 or 10 days in jail. Again, it's 1935. $10 is a lot, and she was very poor. But here's what happened next. LaGuardia then pulled $10 out of his own pocket, and he said, here it is. I'm paying your fine. Furthermore, I'm going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a city where someone poor has to steal bread. 
And then the bailiff went around the court and he collected the fines from every person present, including police officers and other people who were up for trial, and he gave that money to the woman. And the next day, it was reported that the woman went home with $47.50, or roughly $900 in today's economy. She was guilty, all right. And the law is the law. But someone else paid and gave her even more than she could ever have imagined or earned on her own. That's a crazy story. And that, my friend, is what God in Christ has done for you. There's an old rule. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Unless it's this. You don't have to do anything for God to get everything from God. It's all yours. It's all yours through faith alone. It's good. It's free. It's true. It's the exception to the rule. Amen. Before we pray, I want to invite you to read the book of Galatians along with me and the rest of the church throughout this series. If you'd like to receive daily Bible readings from the book of Galatians, I want you to text the word FREE to the number that you see on the screen. And each morning throughout this series, you'll get a link to just a handful of verses. You can read them in like 15, 20 seconds. It's going to be that short, that easy. And then by the end of the series, you'll have read the entire book of Galatians. So text the word free to the number you see below. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it does sound too good to be true, and yet you tell us that it is. It is true that Jesus Christ has done everything to save us, to love us, to forgive us, to transform us, and to make us members of your family. Father, help us to continue to believe that and to have faith in that and that alone. We are so quickly lured and tempted towards other messages that put the emphasis on us. But Father, help us to spot those things and to reject those things. Also, help us to be mindful of how we might be spreading or propagating such dangerous things within our own community by laying, by laying unbiblical expectations on others that make them feel as though they're an outsider or they can't have grace unless they do this or add this. Father, may that not be true of us, of this church ever, ever, Lord. And for anyone who's listening, who's wondering whether or not, whether or not they can be a member of your family, Father, make it clear to them that they don't have to clean up anything, change anything, do anything to receive everything. That all of that comes after the fact. All they bring is their nothing. And Jesus supplies everything. Thank you for that too-good-to-be-true-yet-totally-true news. In Jesus' name, amen.